I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is the weekly briefing for the week ending August 27th. Federico Fagin is an electronics industry legend. In 1971, working at Intel, he designed the world's first working microprocessor. A few years later, he co-founded Zilog, a company that helped accelerate the personal computer revolution by slashing the cost of powerful microprocessors. After that, he co-founded Synaptics, which was both an early pioneer in the application of artificial intelligence and an early force in human-machine interface technology. Fajin is our very special guest this week. The English version of his autobiography was published earlier this year. It's called Silicon, From the Invention of the Microprocessor to the New Science of Consciousness. We called him up to talk about his life as an engineer and physicist, his career as an entrepreneur, but mostly about his latest project, exploring the scientific basis of human consciousness. Before we get to our interview with Federico Fagin, here are some of the stories you can find in EE Times this week. There were two big announcements regarding silicon optimized for artificial intelligence applications. Cerebris is the company with a novel system on a wafer. The company just expanded its capabilities to handle enormous algorithms that the company referred to as, quote, brain-sized. Separately, another AI startup called Esperanto just emerged from stealth mode with a system that could be considered whoppingly huge compared to just about everything other than Cerebrus. It's an AI accelerator that combines 1,000 RISC-V cores. Yeah, that's plenty big. There has been yet another exciting development in the drive to create a practical fusion reactor. Now, let's be clear, no such thing exists yet. But the National Ignition Lab at Lawrence Livermore recently created a reaction far more powerful than anything it has ever achieved before. Read our story about what the lab did and why it is so encouraged by the results. Also, the United Kingdom came out with a report evaluating NVIDIA's proposed acquisition of ARM Holdings. It ain't positive news for NVIDIA. Read our story for the details. For all of these stories and more industry news and analysis, visit our website at eetimes.com. If you're on this podcast episode's webpage, look to your left. You'll find links to all these stories we mentioned today. At the beginning of the semiconductor era, the industry built transistors with metal gates. In 1968, while Federico Fagin was working for Fairchild Semiconductor, he invented the first practical silicon gate transistor. The gate architecture that Fagin devised remains one of the very few absolutely fundamental elements of integrated circuit technology today. But at the time, Fairchild didn't understand its potential. So Fagin went looking for another job. He got one at Intel, which had just recently been founded by a group of former Fairchild engineers. At the time, a lot of the semiconductor business was for custom-built parts. Any custom project requires a lot of investment in R&D. Intel's plan was to make standard ICs, which would control R&D costs, and it was going to concentrate on memory devices. Well, that was the plan, 
but it's hard for any startup to turn down business. And Intel was approached by a company called Bizicom to build a custom chip for its line of electronic calculators. Intel couldn't refuse. It agreed to take the job. Fajin was put in charge of the project. The result was the 4004, the world's first microprocessor. After that, Fajin managed the development of the Intel 8080, which established the x86 microprocessor architecture that Intel is still riding to phenomenal success nearly half a century later. But back in 1973, the former Fairchild crew that were at the time running Intel still didn't quite grasp the value of the silicon gate transistor, or the microprocessor for that matter. So, Fajin left Intel in 1974 and co-founded Zilog, which would be dedicated to the microprocessor business. The Z80 was compatible with the 8080 from Intel, but it was profoundly less expensive. Zilog processors would end up being used by Texas Instruments for its TRS-80, in the Commodore 128 home computer, in the standalone Pac-Man arcade game, and later in TI's graphing calculators. In 1986, Fajin co-founded Synaptics with Stanford professor Carver Mead. The company started out doing some pioneering work with artificial intelligence, but then pivoted to what became a booming business that was enabled by its AI research. The company dominated the market for touchpads and eventually fingerprint sensors. Now, let's step back a moment and look at the history of machines. One of the clearest storylines in technology is the evolution of machines that can add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Mechanisms that could perform addition began to appear in the 1700s. The late 1800s saw the commercialization of mechanical systems that humans could use to perform calculations far more rapidly and reliably than most people could do on their own. Eventually, calculating machines went electronic, and it didn't take long for them to far surpass what any human was capable of in terms of crunching numbers. It got to the point that computers started beating chess grandmasters. It seems as if computers were exhibiting creative thought, but they weren't. What looked like thought was instead the product of staggering amounts of brute force calculating power. But could machines become capable of adaptive thought? We're testing that now with artificial intelligence. It turns out that we can build machines that can learn. As learners, they're still quite simple, but they will get increasingly sophisticated. But how sophisticated? That's the storyline so far. It runs from machines that calculate to machines that compute to machines that learn. And starting with the microprocessor, Fajin was on the leading edge of all the key developments. So what is the logical next step? Now, there's been plenty of speculation that machines could become conscious. And worse yet, they might decide they could be running things. And it's not just books and movies. Scientists and industrialists from Stephen Hawking to Elon Musk have warned there is a real danger that might come from irresponsible AI development. And still, we find Fajin at the leading edge. In 2011, he co-founded with his wife the Federica and Elvia Fajin Foundation, an organization dedicated to understanding consciousness through research. That's where we started our conversation with Federico Fajin. We have heard some very eminent and prominent 
um, scientists and industrialists talking about uh, the the um, perils that are possible that might come from developing artificial intelligence without thinking about what we're doing. Um, you came to a opposite conclusion, and I'd like to ask you to, to summarize your views on, on autonomous machines and why you feel none of them will ever be truly autonomous. As a way of background, let me say that uh, in uh, 1986, I started studying neuroscience because I was interested in creating a computer that could uh, learn by itself as opposed to being programmed uh, using what then were considered novelties like neural networks mm -hmm. uh, that were beginning to be you know, to receive some attention though the uh, the experts in artificial intelligence were poo-pooing <laughs> that idea, you know, the, I, uh, you know, like saying, well, neural networks will never amount to anything. Uh, so it was not just, uh, it, it was a pretty strong uh, view. Um, uh, when in fact, uh, as you know, uh, starting about 10 years ago, they finally solved the uh, major problems uh, in our way to create intelligent machines, artificial intelligent machines. Right. Uh, it was through that uh, the study and through that work uh, that lasted about five or six years before we turned our attention to touch pads and touch screen uh, that... Uh, <laughs> now you're referring to, just uh, for our listeners, you're referring to uh, the founding of the company Synaptics yes. and your work with uh, Professor Carver Mead who was yes, one right. of the, the originators of the, that, that neural network research. So I interrupted you, please go ahead. And it's okay. And so, uh, so I started being interested in the nature of consciousness and uh, uh, because it didn't seem, it, it, it didn't make any sense to me to believe that brains uh, with the electrical signals that are in the brains or computers with the electrical signals which are in computers could create conscious entities. Uh, you know, how, how do electrical signals produce sensations and feelings, comprehension, experiences? That's all the things that uh, characterize uh, uh, consciousness. And, uh, and so that started me in a process of uh, uh, trying to understand consciousness, and, you know, working, uh, working deeply with myself and with other people, with uh, various schools of thoughts about consciousness and so on. And uh, which resulted uh, in uh, actually now a theory of consciousness, which I, which I have uh, 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 presented in a paper authored by Professor Dariano and myself. Uh, it is not in the book, uh, in, in book Silicon, but, but uh, it is work that was done uh, after that, after what you read, mm -hmm. that basically uh, shows the quantum, uh, the, the consciousness uh, and free will are quantum phenomena. They cannot be explained because they don't exist within classical systems like computers. Uh, 
So I give you now a, a more overarching uh, type of uh, type of uh, characterization than the one that you read, because it is uh, it is really based on facts about quantum physics, especially quantum information, and so so it, it is it is really founded on principles which are quite well established, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so as you can see. Uh, uh, if if this is correct, which I believe it is, then uh, a computer will not be able to have any of the characteristics that come from consciousness and free will. Those characteristics are the creative characteristics because a you know a, a free will decision cannot be predicted by 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 any algorithm. Even mm-hmm. otherwise, it would not be free. If it is algorithmic, it is not free. Uh, if, it, if it were purely probabilistic in the sense that no one could know, like noise, uh, uh, it could not be known, but it would have completely different characteristics than the type of uh, uh, decisions that would, uh, would occur within quantum systems where you have, um, you have properties like an, uh, entanglement, for example, mm-hmm. uh, which, which have a very specific uh, a statistical signature so that you know, because of that statistics, that uh, they could not have occurred by prior knowledge. Right. So in other words, in other words the, the, lack of, uh, the lack of knowledge is not the explanation for probability. It is the probability of quantum physics is actually lack of a specific state of the system, of the quantum systems, which means that the, a quantum system uh, will change its state in the moment in which it is measured. Mm-hmm. And it was not this. That state was not there before the measurement. So the, you know. So quantum physics speaks of becoming. In other words, the universe is not there, whether we look at it or not, which is the realistic viewpoint about reality. But it is actually in a state of becoming, and the measurement, which is an interaction between conscious entities, uh, allows that that step forward to occur. In other words, that interaction, you know, creates something that was unpredictable before, mm-hmm. unknowable before, you see. So, so consciousness has these properties. It has the properties that is, it is creative. Uh, it comprehends, understands the situations to which then he applies free will decisions. And a machine doesn't have any of those. A machine is, has no free will, has no comprehension, has simply algorithmic, algorithmic understanding. But algorithmic and understanding is not real understanding. The real understanding of consciousness is non-algorithmic. It, it is a feeling that we have, that we understand. And that feeling is closer to reality, let's say, but is non-algorithmic and allows us to make decisions which are much better than a computer when you have new situations. A computer, if he if hasn't seen that situation before, it will simply not know what to do and be confused. And, and autonomy is the ability to act properly in situations never seen before. Right. So 
<laughs> so you know, for for example, you know, self you know, self driving automobiles uh, will have to deal with all kinds of uh, corner cases in which there are situations for which the computer never had training examples right. to know how what to make of that situation, and that's what people now are finding out. They're finding out that those corner cases are many more than they thought, and they are deadly because the computer. It's not that it can come close to making a, a, a meaningful decision. It doesn't know what to do. So it can, it can do, you can, you can expect anything, <laughs> you know, for a computer to, you know, and there have been already examples of that when, yes. you know, in the early tests, as you know, you know, the computers acted completely, you know, unexpectedly under situations that they never saw before. So this is interesting. So, uh, so you came at um, let let me let me kind of uh, reiterate uh, what you just told me. It sounded like you took a path, um, an engineering path towards towards consciousness. There was a a problem, an engineering problem to be solved when you were at Synaptics. Um, what? Uh, how how do I get a a machine to to at least mimic thinking, at least mimic uh, consciousness, what looks like consciousness. Um, and, and I think it sounds like you realized you can give even a neural network, something that's more adaptable than a standard microprocessor, um, you can Give it more generalized rules, but there's still rules. Yes. Right. Yeah. It, it's still, it, it is still uh, the result of an algorithmic uh, process mm -hmm. uh, that, that uh, you know, that can give you a capacity to generalize if you give enough examples. But even the generalization is like a, it's like an interpolation between functions, so to speak. You know, <laughs> it's, not, it's not much more than that. So, so you know, to 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 say that that what a neural network can do is equivalent to our comprehension is really uh, incorrect. Right. And in fact, uh, people are finding out that the comprehension is the how to say the, <laughs> the 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 crux of the matter when it comes to making decisions for machines that have to be autonomous. You know, autonomous means making decisions without anybody telling you what to do. Uh, uh, under conditions that can be not only unexpected, but but even uh, even uh, uh, you know when when there is uh, when, when there is intention to deceive, which is the reality of human beings and the reality of life. Yes. That's your life. We have to, you know, uh, you know, a, a a a chameleon, you know, which which is, uh, you know, changes colors, you know, to confuse the <laughs> to confuse the enemy, right? Uh, 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 you know, uh, is is exactly you know, trying to deceive, mm -hmm. and that deception is unpredictable, right? So deceptions, by definitions, are are you know, unless they are. You know, unless they become commonplace, and then they are no longer. You know, they are, right. they are they are silly. You know, they are not they are not real deceptions. <laughs> they are something that you can predict. A real deception, which is intelligent, which is creative, mm -hmm. you know, cannot be predicted. And uh, and, and so uh, here you have situations where, uh, for example, a you know a self-driving vehicle 
can, uh, you know, can find itself, uh, you know, I mean, you, you can find the ways to hack the system if you want by, you know, by, by with mirrors and other, other techniques so that, uh, you know, you confuse the, the machine and now what are you going to do? The machine will not be able to judge any of, of, the, of, of those situations. And so it, it's not going to work. Uh, now, I'm not saying with this that, uh, that uh, we will not be able to solve uh, the problem of self-driving, but it will take much longer. Mm-hmm. And it can only be solved because the people that cause the accidents are people that are not driving well because they're under the influence of drugs or alcohol or what have you, or, or are distracted or, you know. And, and so as long as you do better than, 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 uh, than uh, drivers of which the people that are a problem are bad drivers, <laughs> then, you know, then, then you won't be able to solve the problem. <laughs> so um, that brings up an interesting point, and I know you've considered it because I've read your book. Um, there is a, a line of thought where if something appears to be conscious, it may as well be. This might be uh, summed up by the Turing test. The idea that if, if it behaves enough like the way you want it to behave, it might as well be the thing you want it to be. So in the case of an autonomous, uh, an autonomous uh, machine, as long as it behaves the correct way most of the time and uh, a lot of the corner cases are considered, then that's good enough. Um, But that doesn't, that may make it a useful system, a useful device, but it doesn't make it conscious. It doesn't make it autonomous in the dictionary sense of the word, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, besides, let's face it, I mean, uh, you know, the autonomy of a car is not the autonomy of a beast in the forest, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, in other words, uh, you know, there are roads, there are rules. And so, so it, it, is, it is something in between a game with strict rules like go or like, uh, you know, or like uh, chess mm-hmm. and and you know the 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 proverbial jungle, right? Where you can expect anything. So so you know, especially you can expect uh, uh, you know behaviors which are which are uh, antagonistic, which are which are you know which are trying to kill you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that that's fascinating. So you get to a situation where as an engineer, you're looking at all of these problems to solve and you realize that there are experience that, that what's let, what you can't teach a machine and what you can't get a t- machine to emulate is experience, sense, feeling. Let me ask you how, um, as you were thinking about the 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 problem at hand, is it po- is it even possible to get machines to to think uh, to experience? Um, what was the realization for you that that there's a distinction between motion, action, rules based response, and experience? Yeah. 
Uh, so the first one is machine-like. It's a basically, you know, one the machines that we build do is a classical, there are classical things done that you can do with bits. Computers can do, can do all those behaviors. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, where experience is actually an inner property that we have where information is actually lived in the experience, is actually felt as an experience as sensations, as feelings, those are called qualia, what something feels like. The taste of chocolate is not the signals in the brain that correspond to the taste of chocolate. And, and this, you know, this sort of, uh, this, this collapsing or, you know, collapsing, you know, those two fundamental concepts into, into one and the same is the problem that, of consciousness that, that most people don't understand because most people have never thought about what consciousness is. Well, you know? I, I've, I've seen, um, so we recently uh, heard of a, an artificial intelligence um, that was trained to go from cask to cask of sake yeah. and be able to determine better than a human um by 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 analyzing the the chemicals in the odor from from this from the sake how old the sake is and to some extent the quality of it yeah but and, but, but, it, but it can't it can't enjoy the sake and that's is right. this what you're saying? That's the point. Right. The point is that, you know, there is no taste of sake for that machine. Right. And there is no, none of the experience that the taste of sake can, can bring into your consciousness. And so, so you know, uh, basically, uh, most problems that are technical problems or problems that we'd like to solve are problems that can be, that can be, uh, uh, solved by a properly structured, you know, in a, a computer or neural net with neural networks or with other techniques. So, you know, but but that doesn't mean that the the, the computer is you know is conscious because it, so, it it solves what we solve through consciousness. We actually don't need to have all that training to be able to do what we do. You know, I mean, we we can we can you know we can actually make sense of a situation uh, very very you know very quickly. I mean, the the training the training that computers can do. Uh, you know, when mom points to a, to a, to a, an animal, say cat, to a, to a child, uh, the child doesn't need to see you know the cat. Uh, you know, I mean, at one million cats before it can be able to generalize. Right. You know, just uh, you know, just one or two uh, examples. You know, and and the child, you know, one year old can recognize, two years old can recognize a cat. Yeah. So you know, uh, so you know, computers are simply you know mechanizing uh, aspects of what we do already. You know, I, I'm sure that the first of all that the child already has formed within his brain the sense of the object that doesn't yet have a name yet. Mm -hmm before before as object in other words he has already organized all the all the information in, in the in the you know that comes through the brain the sensory system and the brain into 
object-like structures, then mom pointing the finger to that thing that he didn't know what the name was, now he knows that that thing is cat. Yes, <laughs> you know yes, what I mean? yes. <laughs> so, so, you know, and so that, that stuff, that organization, uh, you know, uh, is it, being grossly going on, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in a large measure going on in the dark. Uh, it doesn't 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 need consciousness, you know. And maybe when the when mom points the finger and says "cat," for the first time, the child you know focuses attention to that object and kind of gets it, you know that that's right. the, that that's what is called cat. Before it was simply you know something that was uh, was not even conscious, you know, it was something that was still organized as an object, but it wasn't conscious. For example, the the point is that there are two independent things going on. One is the organization of electrical signals, and the other one is the experience of that organization of electrical signals. And consciousness is about experience, not about organization. <laughs> and it's absolutely clear. Uh, I, I mean, I think, I think anybody, uh, once you start talking about consciousness, you start talking about uh, things that are ineffable things that are that that so far we simply don't have the structure to even talk about let alone define and understand what they might be um that you argue is innate to the universe the ability to that 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 this con whatever we whatever consciousness might be um what i'm taking from what you wrote in the book is that if you can see it in a two-year-old child being told that's a cat if you can apply it to a chameleon understanding that it needs to change its color in order to hide uh, down to a paramecium that can identify where food is and go after it and and, and these are all experiences not they're not there's there's no rule telling them what's going on these are experiences they're innate and experience is something separate and it sounds like you're trying to figure out a structure for understanding how to talk about that and and how to examine the phenomenon is that is that what you're trying to do well, you know, I'm I'm trying to uh, to ex to explain where is that experience? Where does it exist? And mm. you know, uh, the fact that we have an experience, we know it. We, right. You you have. I have. Everybody has experiences. So so we don't have to establish that fact. What we have to establish is how does it come about? I mean, certainly electrical signals by themselves don't give experience. How come that we have an experience? And the, the, I'll give you the bottom line first, because otherwise uh, it would take too long to, okay. <laughs> to, to get to, to that. And the bottom line is that experience, like free will, are quantum phenomena. They do not exist in space-time. They exist in the quantum realm. They exist in Hilbert space, which is the space, the multidimensional space in which we use to describe quantum phenomena mm -hmm. and quantum systems. 
Classical systems are machines that are purely Boolean, cannot be conscious, cannot have free will, period. Right. You know, the, the, you know, the, the idea that maybe in 40 years, a, a computer that, you know, with many more bits or whatever you, you know, or faster will be conscious doesn't, doesn't fit at all because it's more of the same. We, are, we have a qualitative different characteristic here. And the, the, the qualitative different characteristic is that quantum systems have entanglement, which is a property, which is unique of quantum systems, does not exist in classical systems. Right. And, and entanglement and superposition are the foundation of what allow to have experience. Now, in between, there, there are living systems, which are neither purely quantum systems nor purely classical systems. They are quantum classical systems. Mm-hmm. Those living systems are much better than computers. They can do much more than, compu- than classical computers because they are quantum classical. But most importantly, they can be connected. They can communicate with the quantum system, which is conscious. You see? So now the consciousness that we think is in our body is not in our body, is in the, in the quantum world. And it can control the body and can have the experience of the information produced by our body. So along the last 30 or 40 or 50 years, humanity develops computers and all of a sudden computers become the analogy for an analogy that some people use to explain how people think how people make rational decisions when you start talking about um experience as a quantum phenomenon is that an analogy or do you feel that the that that whatever consciousness might be it's literally a uh it it would be an actual quantum phenomenon it is actually a property of a fundamental property of reality Mm-hmm. which is that a, a, a quantum system, which is in a pure state, in a pure quantum state, mm-hmm. which is a, you know, which is a type of, you know, a type of state, uh, you know, if we, if we, if I had to explain it, then we got to spend another 10 another minutes. Another hour. You know what I mean? So, so we, yes. we, we, unfortunately, you know, we only have so much time, but, but, but a quantum system, which is in a pure quantum state is conscious. So what does it mean? It has the experience of its own state. And the demonstration is the entanglement. And the demonstration, the, the, the entanglement is what is needed for a state to be pure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so, so entanglement is inherent in quantum systems. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so, so, so now we have quantum systems, which, uh, which are in a pure state that have this additional property. Physics never gave that property so far. Now we are saying, Dariano and myself are saying, 
No, the system, a system in quantum system in a pure quantum state is conscious. In other words, has the experience of its own state. And the experience of its own state is qualia. All right. Do, does that, that experience of its own state, um, does, so you define, you, you gave four examples of qualia, um, sensation, emotion, thought, and, and feeling, a spiritual feeling. Yeah. If, is the qualia of self-knowledge in the quantum realm, are those the same, is, can, can it be the same for qualia or is it a different quality? Well, but the, the, the qualia is plural, right? So, so it, it, there, are, there are, you know, for example, just the, just the qualia of sound, right? Okay, <laughs> just, right. just one, you know, I mean, the, the, qual, I mean, the qualia of sounds, I mean, it's, it's any concert, any song, you know, my speaking now, those are all different kind of qualia. I mean, you know, okay, okay, the variety right. of, that, of those qualia are enormous, okay. yet they are very different than the qualia of vision, which are color, shapes, right. depths, what have you, right? So, so, uh, so that, you know, those are completely different kinds of qualia. Okay. All those are, you know, all those are part of what I call sensations based on, you know, of the physical world, of physical phenomena, uh, pr produced by physical phenomena, meaning signals, classical signals that come from the world. Uh, and the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the taste of chocolate is, uh, you know, is a can be conducible to certain, the presence of certain molecules with certain characteristics that are, you know, that are uh, uh, analyzed by the, you know, by the uh, taste system right. the, uh, of, of a human being over an animal. So, and, and so on. Now, thoughts are completely different kinds of class of qualia and and there are there are you know how many thoughts are possible i mean right 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 and emotions i mean emotions are are even you know as vast as thoughts i mean you know just the you know just the this the sun the, the the feeling tones of love for example i mean you know they are, they are infinite the feeling tones of uh, of joy the feeling tones of uh of uh, excitement or curiosity, you yes, name yes. it. Right? <laughs> so, so you know, so that that, that world is as a as an unbelievable variety and complexity, and, uh, and and in fact, you know, is much more is 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 a non algorithmic complexity. Mm -hmm. You see, and uh, and we can only map it into classical information by losing a lot of information, just like when we map a qubit, a quantum bit, mm -hmm. which is an infinity of states into the classical world, it is a bit, a zero or a one. Right. You see, so, so the, the, the world of experience is a world which has infinitely more states and infinitely more variations than are possible in the classical world which is the world of computers. And computers have a lot of, you know, states too, you know, <laughs> but, but compared, to, compared to the states of a conscious entity, 
you know, it, it, they're incom incommensurable yeah. because they're, they're, they're nothing. It's like the, 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 you know, it's like the, 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 the infinity of uh, discrete, you know, discrete uh, uh, entities uh, versus the continuum, the continuum of n-dimensional spaces. Continuous spaces, you know, like the, the the continuum of the of the you know of the line or the continuum of a plane or the continuum of three deep space. That is a you know that is a continuum which is inf infinitely more you know has infinitely more possibilities than what you can characterize by discrete by discrete uh, combinations, which is what computers can do. We're getting into a realm that. It's not scientifically rigorous because it's you can't you cannot know what the entanglement is a priori. You don't know where it is. You can't tell who you're going to fall in love with. You can't tell whether you're going to love the music of Bach or you know uh, maybe uh, you know Afro-Cuban jazz, right? Yeah. Um, these are, again, all ineffable things through all of history. This has been, there have been seekers in Indian Vedas, in, in religious, uh, religious uh, experiences, um, philosophy. You're an engineer. And I think it's really fascinating that you seem to be coming at the the um the examination of consciousness from a certain viewpoint in your book uh you talk about one of your earlier experiences designing a part of intel where management had a 16 pin package <laughs> and you're like no this is the, the you know, ma management's point of view was we have these packages, let's use them. You know, we have a reason why we want the parts to be standardized in this. And you had a problem to solve. And it's like, give me a 40 pin package. I, I could do this better with a 40 pin package. Just give it to me. And, and it was a fight for you. Um, what that story told me was, it's important to you to define the problem so that you understand how to think about it. If you define the problem correctly, then you can use what you learn profitably to, to get to where you'd like to go. And I feel that when you're thinking about the problem of consciousness, you're doing something similar. You're trying to figure out what the correct question is. Do you agree with that? And, and what do you think about uh, your efforts as you move into this, the, the examinations and the explorations you've been engaged in in the past 10 or 20 years? All right. Well, so, so I, I see it, you know, first of all, I, I, I am also an engineer, but I'm not an engineer. <laughs> I, hopefully, hopefully I'm more than an engineer, like any other engineer can be more than an engineer. And engineering is a certain way of looking at things, and it's fine. It, it works very well to solve problems. I'm actually more of a physicist than an engineer, which is closer to 
the taking a more deeper view of reality from a from a from matter of principles uh, which are scientific principles. So so science. Uh, so I, I'm more of a scientist when I then I look at the problem uh, as a problem to be solved. Okay. But then I'm also a spiritual person when I live my experiences. So there are two things that we do. One is that we think uh, rationally and uh, we try to, you know, to measure things, to, you know, to, to, uh, to see if it works and whatever you build things. And that part is what science does. But there is another part, which is the part that, in, that enjoys lives, that, can, that come up with creative things like a, a, a new piece of music, for Christ's sake, or a, or, <laughs> yep. or a, you know, or, or a painting that, that can express, you know, in new ways, feelings that, that no one could express before, you know, look at Van Gogh or, or you know, or, 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 you know, Michelangelo or, you know, th- th- those type of paintings that, that, that speaks in ways that no one has spoken before. Where? To our consciousness, not to a machine, to our consciousness, in, you know, elicit feelings and understandings than no other things did before. So, so we have a spiritual side and we have a rational side. And those two must be joined. You know, science would like to only, would like the world to be only scientific, but the world is not only scientific, it's also a world in which we live, in which we experience life, we enjoy life, we have emotions, we have, we have the capacity to create and we are creative. And in fact, the physics of quantum physics is open to that, but it, it cannot prescribe what will show up, you see? Yes. A physicist would like the world to be, you know, prescribable by their laws. Well, sorry about it. (laughs) Quantum physics doesn't do that. It doesn't let you do that. No, no. And that's that's the good things about what we are. You see, (laughs) you know, why do we want to be machines, for Christ's sake? So, is there a goal to learning about what our consciousness might be, or or getting a better handle on how to how to to live our experiences to appreciate our experiences what happens if we figure out or at least come to terms with what consciousness is what then well i mean if we consciousness is the greatest gift that we have and understanding that greatest gift is what allow, will allow us to do things that rationality alone cannot do. It will have to be done. The, the, the next frontier of man is to join the, the, spiritual, the spiritual aspects, which are the feeling aspects that we have, with the rational aspects, which is the scientific side that we have. Science and spirituality must come together. And when they come together, science will change and spirituality will change. Now, the two are like two, two separate things, two, two silos 
you know, a scientist doesn't want to deal with spirituality and a spiritual person doesn't want to deal with science. Well, we are both. For example, you know, a major progress forward, uh, uh, you know, was made in humanity when men discover its rationality. I, 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 you know, I sort of credit the Greek philosophers, you know, to have brought rationality into the world. Mm-hmm. You know, away from the mythological world, uh, you know, which was a world of fantasy, a world of, uh, you know, it was a world based on sensations and feelings, but not reason. Right. Okay. So now we have a world based on, you know, and it took, you know, 2,500 years, 3,000 years to get to having developed the rationality to the point that we have a rational description of the world, which science is giving us. But that's not enough. We cannot abandon the other side. Okay, the other side is being abandoned because science has only used rationality as the way to, you know, to make progress. Mm-hmm. So now we have to, to go the next step, which is to integrate what we left out. The, the dreaming part of us, the, 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 the creative part of us, the, 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 the one that doesn't fit any algorithmic parameter, the one that cannot be described by mathematics. Yeah. Mathematics is algorithmic. If something is not algorithmic, they cannot be described by mathematics. And our feelings are, cannot be described by mathematics. They are qualitative things with, with a depth which is unfathomable. And so, so we had to go beyond. You know, so my point is that why think in, you know, that we are machines and why looking for machines that can do better than we can do? That's silly. I mean, we, we are more than machines. We have created those machines. Do you think that a computer created itself? Do you think that, you know, I mean, what, what, what are we talking about here? Where did the creativity that created the computer come from? From a computer? <laughs> Not the chance. It is fascinating to me. Um... I've been talking to engineers and scientists for most of my career. And it is fascinating to me how many of them, it seems like a greater percentage of engineers than, than other people, but maybe I'm, maybe it's just because of who I've been talking to, but it seems like a great many of people who, whose jobs are in the rational world have avocations that are experiential. So many engineers I've met, so many scientists I've met are musicians. Yeah. Uh, some painters, etc. And it seems that even though there is uh, in modern life a, a trend to partition rationality and experience. It seems to me that a lot of people sense that they should be integrated. Yeah, but they don't know where to start. So is that what you're doing? Is that what you're trying to absolutely. do? Start with a- absolutely, okay. of course, okay. absolutely. I mean, we, you know, but, but you see, uh, you know, the moment, like, like in some ways we, you know, going back to what I said earlier, you know, the, 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 the Greeks, you know, brought, 
rationality into a world that was a world of mythology, of dreams, of you know, or and, and spiritual experiences. The yes. Vedas, I mean, much of the religions were inspired by spiritual experiences. Then they they were co-opted often to to be used as power tools. But you know, but 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 but, but the 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 origin was uh, the capacity of human beings to have spiritual experiences. Spiritual experiences meaning experiences of union with the totality of what exists, with the world, where one doesn't feel himself separate from the rest of the world. Those are the crucial experiences that tell you that reality is much more than you thought. Because, you know, rationally, and also in our ordinary experiences, we see ourselves as separate from the world. Mm -hmm. and in fact, it was one of those experiences that brought me to taking seriously what consciousness is and wanting to understand it because it did not make sense within the conceptual conception of reality of science that such experiences could exist. Was this the experience you wrote of in the book? Uh, yes, the, like the, the, awakening, the awakening experience that is described yeah. in, the, in the book. In Fajin's book, he talks about being on a holiday vacation. One night he wakes up, goes to get a glass of water, goes back to bed, and while trying to fall back asleep, experiencing, quote, a powerful rush of energy emerge from my chest like nothing I had ever felt before and could not imagine possible. He went on to write, It changed me forever. My relationship with the world has always been as a separate observer perceiving the universe as outside myself and disconnected from me. What made this even more astonishing was its impossible perspective because I was both the experiencer and the experience. In other words, the essence of reality was revealed to be a substance that knows itself in self-reflection, and its self-knowing feels like an irrepressible and dynamic love. Given his experiences, I asked Fijin what he would like to see happen next. What should change? To change this mechanistic idea and reductionistic idea that, that is, comes primarily from science, then we are machines. Yeah. We, we, are, we are teaching children that we are machines, more sophisticated machines than you know, the machines that we're building today, but nonetheless, machines. And that is an enormous disservice to who we are. We are spiritual being, beings that use a machine to have an experience in this world. And this world is a much smaller reality than the reality in which we exist because we are spiritual beings. We are quantum systems that are embodied to have an experience in this reality that we have created, not a big bang, we have created. Mm. Our model of realities, there is no reality into dreams. The dreams don't, don't exist. There are people that can go out of body and ex experience realities that, uh, you know, they, when, they come, when they describe them, are, they're just not even close to the reality that we are living in, we're living in. Are those guys crazy? No. I think that the, that I think that the reality is 
far vaster than we think it is. Space-time, the way we understand it in this universe, is most likely only one of many possible realities. Yeah. And of course, you know, there are near-death experiences, which you probably have read some of the books, yes. you know, where people that are clinically dead, the, 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 the brain doesn't work, they have extraordinary experiences of consciousness, which then change their life. So, and, and then can we claim then that it was just a kind of a crazy thing that happened, who knows what, when that experience, when the person was clinically dead, changed the life of the person and that was the most important experience in the life of that person? I mean, I, I, you know, then it means that we are just, a, that we want to have, you know, we, we want to be right no matter what, right? I mean, we want, to, we want to have all this an excuse to say that the world is the way we say that it is. Well, that's, that's, that's not acceptable. I mean, everybody, every one of us has had, you know, one or more experiences in his life that are beyond what is ordinary. You know, when, you know, maybe one was just uh, walking in, you know, in nature or one had an unbelievable dream that, that, that was so out of the ordinary of all the dreams that, that they gave some inklings that there is more to this world than just the bits, for Christ's sake. <laughs> more than what you can measure. Uh, yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, yeah, people so, who so, do- so, so the reality, you know, the, the fact that there is a qualitative reality that can never be bottled up into a computer memory. Okay. That is a good thing. Well, it's a good thing for most of us. There are, you, you've met, I'm certain, people who've told you, yeah, when I die, I want my consciousness downloaded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, sounds interesting, but I don't know if you know what you're talking about. Now, besides, as you know, okay, uh, the the uh, our experience is private. You cannot know my experience, and you will never be able to know my experience. And I cannot know your experience. And in fact, that's one of the big reasons why only quantum systems have this privacy because quantum information cannot be copied, cannot be cloned. Classical information can be copied, can be cloned. Therefore, if you could download your consciousness and your experience in a computer, anybody could have your experience which violates the very privacy of your experience, which is one of the fundamental characteristics of consciousness. In fact, a machine cannot even have the simplest of experience, you know, because consciousness requires that sublime capacity that exists, that exists not in this physical world. Not in this physical world. If we define the physical world, what is inside this bubble of space and time, Consciousness is not here. It's not in this physics. It's not in space time. No. And that's what, you know, so if, if, if science only deal with what is in space time, well, then you leave out the most important thing that you have. We've been speaking with Federico Fagin. His autobiography is called Silicon, From the Invention of the Microprocessor to the New Science of Consciousness. 
In his book, Fajin talks about his career and some of his relationships with some of the other major figures from the early days of the semiconductor industry. He provides some basic information about the fundamentals of semiconductor technology, and he shares the spotlight with some of the other early innovators, including a few that merit more recognition than they typically get. He also provides an introduction to his research into consciousness. Fajin is a fine writer, and importantly, given the complexity of many of the ideas he's talking about, he is a particularly clear writer. The book is informative and entertaining, and I highly recommend it. During our discussion, Fajin referred to a paper that he co-authored with a colleague, which he said he explains how consciousness and free will are quantum phenomenon. That paper is called Hard Problem and Free Will, an Information Theoretical Approach. On this podcast's webpage, there are links to where you can buy the book and also to download the paper. Fajin said he is in the midst of writing another book, this one that will explain scientifically and in detail some of the ideas we spoke of today. And that is it for this episode of The Weekly Briefing. Thank you for listening. This podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. The Weekly Briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Craig McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week. You mentioned in your book that you, uh, as an Italian, you really enjoy wine. Yep. Have you had a good bottle of wine recently, something new that, uh, that you really enjoyed? Well, if you do not know Amarone, that's my favorite wine. So it's not, it's, uh, it's not a new bottle, that's, uh, but most people don't know Amarone. And Amarone is a wine from uh, the Veneto region, where I come from, and uh, uh, is uh, uh, the grapes uh, and the wine is made uh, pretty much exclusively uh, even now in the Valpolicella, which is the you know is a is a valley in the county of of Verona. I I was born in the county of Vicenza, which is just next county to to uh, to Verona. And in uh, in uh, um, Valpolicella is the is the name of the grape, and uh, uh, they also mix some other, but mostly is mostly Valpolicella, and uh, and then the, the the grapes are are uh, dried uh, in they put them in they put they put the grapes in racks in a you know and uh, they dry them for three months so they lose about forty percent of the weight, uh, and then they make the wine just before Christmas. And uh, and uh, uh, and then it is uh, uh, it, it is uh, aged in uh, in uh, casks of uh, you know uh, oak uh, for uh, for about uh, for about uh, four years and, uh, and and then it's bottled and then it's you know so it's at least four years old when it when it when it comes out you know you, you, you they don't sell it before 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 the four years of uh, aging and. Uh, uh, it is delicious. It is you, it's very high, you know, as you would expect. It, it, it's, it has high alcohol content. They are, you know, I would expect that, yes. 
I drank a bottle that, that is uh, that was seventeen degrees, seventeen percent. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, but typically it's fifteen, fifteen and a half, sixteen. Okay, that's the typical typical uh, alcohol content. But it's a very is a rich wine. Is a meditation wine, and uh, you know a good bottle is expensive. But of course, all wine, all good wines is expensive. But you can find uh, you know forty dollar bottles of Amarone, which is quite, quite good. Uh, you can even find $20 Amarone at, uh, at, at Trader Joe's, which are acceptable. Uh, but I would recommend to, you know, to go in the, you know. Splurge. Yeah. If you're going to splurge, go ahead and do it. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and then you will tell me, yeah, then you will tell me, you, you, uh, you know, after you had a, a good bottle of Amarone, uh, you will, uh, you, you will always remember it and you will be able to actually recognize it when you have it has such a distinct taste that you know just one bottle is enough you don't need a, 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 a you know neuron actors to learn with 400 <laughs> bottles <laughs>